My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Hello everyone, this is Gail, AKA Sunshine. Today we have Lana Bose joining us around the campfire. Lana, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I wanna start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from. And one thing I always ask is for one fun fact about you. Okay, okay. Um, my name is Lana Bose and my camp name was Donut. I grew up in a military family, so in the first years of my life, I moved every couple years. So I lived in multiple places um, before the age of 12. And then I settled into where I live today in Indiana. I'm married. I have one stepdaughter and I have two fur babies that I adore so much. I have been with the same company for 25 years. I work for General Electric Company, General Electric Appliances. And I have to ask, before you give your fun fact, I need to know why donut. Well, I guess we could go with that as the fun fact. Okay. Um, So I kind of struggled with the nickname. I tend to overthink things. And so trying to go through it and Mama Lou's like, okay, give me some things about you. And so one of the things when I was sick is that my doctor just wanted me to gain weight. I had lost so much weight. I had a sweet tooth and I she sent me the nutritionist to talk to me and I just wasn't having it. I didn't want to talk about nutrition. And so she finally said, you know what? I don't even care. I don't care if you eat egg, egg, cake, donuts, whatever. I don't care. And so since I like donuts, I thought, okay, well, that sounds like pretty good um, approval to eat donuts when I want. And so I ran across this list that was basically the top 10 donut places in each place. And since I like to travel so much, I thought, well, okay, well then I'm going to find the best donut wherever I go. And so that's what I did. So anytime we went to a different location, I always looked up where we were in relation to the donut place and we would always go. And my, my husband was doing the same thing when he would surprise me and he'd end up pulling up in front of a place that I'd say, Oh my gosh, that's on our list. So that's really what it came down to is me just the love of donuts and how we came about it that like, okay, well that name works for me. I love it. So who has the best donuts of all the places you've gone? Who has the best? Oh my gosh, that is such a hard question. Donuts are not donuts. Um, There's there's a place in Nashville that is just amazing. Um, One donut is just so heavy and I wouldn't even want to know how many calories it is. (laughs) And then um, there was a place in um, California that we actually went to twice because Mm. it's just is the best donut. So I wish I could say it was local, but it's not. I think I'm part of me is thankful it's not local. Yeah, that I would agree. Do you have a favorite mm-hmm. kind of donut? I do. I like the um, cream filled chocolate long johns. Oh, yes. 
Yes. Those are amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's go to a, a specific aspect of your background, your diagnosis. When, how did you find out what symptoms you had, surgery, treatment, all that kind of stuff? So my first cancer diagnosis was cervical cancer, and that was in 2007. And I was actually going through a divorce. And uh, my sister had had a hysterectomy like about a month prior when my symptoms started. And so my oncologist at the time, I was bleeding really bad, like just hemorrhaging blood, just getting paler and paler. And my oncologist said, or not my oncologist, my doctor said, oh, you're just, your body's just reacting to the divorce and your body's being sympathetic to your sister's hysterectomy. I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. No, <laughs> and, but, but I, you know, I, I didn't think anything about it. So I was like, okay, well, maybe she's right. Maybe your body just through trauma and it just kept on and kept on. And I was getting paler and paler. I was losing so much blood. And then my doctor says, well, you know what? We could always do a DNC. See if we recorrect, correct your body. Said, so, okay. And at the time I didn't want to tell my dad about it because hmm. Uh, my mom had passed away of colon cancer in 94 oh. and I just didn't want to tell him, I didn't want him to have to worry about anything yeah. about. Me. And so I told my sister, I said, it's going to be outpatient. You can just come get me. And she's like, I'm not doing that. What if something happens? And I said, no, it'll be fine. They said outpatient and it wasn't fine. Um, yeah. they found a, a huge mass and wow. I actually bled out on the table because it was so big that I ended up in the hospital for several days. So that was wow. my first bout with cancer. Um, I went through chemo and radiation and then I was fine. I um, did all my screenings and after five years, I, if I didn't, if it didn't recur, it wasn't coming back yeah. on the sixth year, I started experiencing stomach pain, bloating, cramping, um, but ignored it. Um, uh, because what are the chances I'm going to have something else wrong with me? I'd got through my five years that in the fall, I had something unrelated. My husband actually lost his job and I had a panic attack at work mm. and I didn't know what a panic attack was. I didn't know. And so I went to my medical doctor uh, at where I work and they suggested I see my regular doctor. And while I was there, I said, you know, I'm having this issue. I've got these stomach pains. And I started describing everything and her knowing my history, knowing my mom died at the age of 52, which ironically is how old I am today. She said, you know, I'd like to send you for a colonoscopy. And I had done my colonoscopy screenings because there's a math equation from when your parent is diagnosed. I'd done all that, had polyps, had them removed. So never again, any issues, never once considering that it could be anything. And I went for my colonoscopy. It came back, of course. They, mm. I, they suspected I had colon cancer. Um, I was sent to an oncologist for more testing and I was immediately scheduled for surgery, emergency surgery. Wow. And so when I went into the hospital, um, I was told, we don't know what we're going to do. We don't know if you're going to wake up with a, a permanent colostomy. We, they, we just don't know at this yeah. point what we're going to get into when we see, cause it, everything happens so fast. I really have time to even think about it. When I woke up from the surgery, I had an ileostomy, which is a temporary. Mm -hmm. So I was in the hospital for 24 days. My oh, body wow. was bonding to it. And that was really my first major stay in the hospital outside of the blip of my first, first experience yeah. and spent a lot of time in the hospital. It, it ended up being the ileostomy ended up being reversed um, sooner than it should have been because I was very depressed, just depressed about it. I didn't want to leave the house because the first time I left the house, it leaked. Oh. I was mortified and I just said, yeah. I'm not leaving again. 
and they saw me deteriorating. So they reversed it early and fully expected I was going to be in the hospital a while because why wouldn't I be? I'd been in for the first part, but my body responded quickly. That, that spring, my doctor wanted to do some genetic testing because of me having now two primary cancers and my mom dying so young with a primary cancer. I was diagnosed with Lynch syndrome, which is a genetic mutation. Oh, wow. I missed so they knew which gene I was missing. Um, but what it did is it changed the course of how I was going to be treated and oh. monitored. Um, because Lynch grows cancer so quickly, I couldn't do the normal come back at this time or do this. So I had to go back a lot more frequently. Um, I continued my screenings. And then in the early part of 2015, I had my first reoccurrence. Of the colon cancer. Of the colon cancer. I had to have surgery. And this time I had to do treatment. I had to do chemo. So I did my rounds of chemo. Um, I don't remember how many cycles it was. I don't think it was a set amount at the time. And everything was going along smoothly again after my treatment. But pretty quickly after that, I had another reoccurrence. Mm. This time they had actually been watching it. They suspected based on my um one of my screening tests, my CT, but they didn't tell me because they could already see after the first reoccurrence, I was starting to deteriorate. So they didn't tell me. And so when the second reoccurrence happened, a fellow came in, I, I go to a teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I'm used to having multiple doctors come in before my oncologist comes in. And he missed the memo about nobody was supposed to come into my room. Because my doctor knew she wanted to be the one to tell me because of how I was going to react to it. And Uh, he matter of factly said, you know, that spot we were watching, well, it's cancer. And I uh, didn't know about the spot. I didn't know anything. And so just not a very good experience, obviously. Um, My husband was with me. My husband was always with me. He never missed an appointment. If he had to miss an appointment, my best friend went with me. mm -hmm. I I never went alone, Um, never stayed in the hospital alone. So from there, I continue, I was back on another chemo regimen, which I continued. And along with that, I was getting blood transfusions every three, every two weeks. Um, that's how often I was doing chemo. I spent a lot of time in the hospital and it just, it was just a cycle that I went through for the next year. Wow. And, and then in June of 2016, I was told my chemo was no longer working. And there really, there really wasn't much more they could do. Uh, my husband was told that we need to start preparing. They didn't say it direct to me, but I knew. Yeah. Um, there was nothing left they could do. I, I'd honestly accepted it. I was to the point I was so sick that I didn't want to do chemo anymore. So yeah. uh, I knew, but it just wasn't talked about. Yeah. And later that month, um, a clinical trial came open that I qualified for. Um, the clinical trial had started six months prior to that with 60 people. And it, one of the conditions was chemo had to stop working. And of course, my chemo was still working. Right. And oh, I thought it, they had determined that it wasn't. So well, they weren't in, positive. In December, yeah, no. So in de- I'm sorry. In December of 2015 is when the initial trial opened up. So six oh. months prior to my chemo stopping. So I didn't qualify. Qualified for Got everything it. but that. Yeah. And so in June of 2016, they said, you know what, we need 60 more people. Our sample size is just too small. And so I was number two in that second group. Awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I still had to pass, pass all the tests. I met the initial qualifications, but I had to pass all the tests. One being that my, my blood levels had to stay for seven days. So we what got do you mean your blood level? Like the... I had to be at a nine. My hemoglobin had to be at a okay. nine. And I never could maintain a nine. I would get up to a nine just long enough after my transfusion to get my treatment. Um, so my oncologist said, we're just going to pray for it. That's all we can yeah. do is we've got to try it. This is the last condition. And so they gave me a transfusion and the clock started. And on the seventh day, I made it. I made <sighs> it. And um, I, I was accepted into the clinical trial. Wow. On the eighth day, my numbers it dropped. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it was, my, it was my miracle. It was yeah. honestly a miracle. Um, it was a Keytruda immunotherapy trial and my body immediately started reacting to it. They negatively told, or positively? Positively. Okay. Positively. Yes. Um, they told me not to have a lot of expectation with the first CT. You know, they didn't see a lot of results the first time, just wanted to warn me and said, okay, well, that wasn't the case with me. They immediately started seeing results. Wow. My CA markers just started just coming down so fast, just cutting in half every single Incredible. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was on the trial for two years. Um, my CEA norm CA marker was within normal limits in the first year, but I continued for my complete trial. And then after two years, I was given the option to stay on Katruda or go off of it. It had only been approved, um, FDA approved a month prior because they only had the results of 60 people. I chose after a lot of discussion um, back and forth with my oncologist and my husband, though no one would make the decision for me. I wanted them to make the decision. I decided that I wanted my life back. Yeah. And so I said, I want, I want to stop. I'm good. I want to stop. And, you know, we even went to negotiations of, well, I could still come in and have emotional support visits with my oncologist. Because I said, how am I not going to see you after four years, you know, exactly. Yeah. Every two to three weeks. And so by the end of the visit, end of the discussion, I said, you know what? No, I don't want to see you. I just, I want to be done. And so I walked out of there and I've never looked back and, you know, I've never had a blood transfusion after that first one, when I qualified, never been back in the hospital. I've never had a reoccurrence since. That is amazing. So have you seen your oncologist at all since? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> I, oh well. Lunch, so it does that does not change anything. Yeah. Um, I stayed on every three months. Gosh, up until a year and a half ago, um, I stayed every three months, and then I graduated to six months. And so now I see her every six months, and that's been a little hard going from that. But I've got her personal number. I, I've got her. Email. Yeah. I know how to reach her. Um, I call her if I if there's anything going on. Um, I got to see her at our our benefit for colon cancer in March, um, and so it's it life is good. It's good. You have your life back. That is amazing. I do. I do. Now that sounds like a very mentally and emotionally taxing what, six years? I mean, yes. in total, how did it impact you? And did it impact you differently mentally and emotionally at different times during the journey? It did. Um, with the cervical cancer, it didn't really impact me emotionally. I didn't think 
towards the end, um, they, they, they said, you know, I think you really should talk to somebody. And I said, I don't need to speak to anybody. I'm fine. And Mm -hmm. my oncologist at the time was like, I don't think you're fine. And he finally almost insisted upon it. And so I went and I, they said, you know why you're here? And I said, no, I have nothing to say to you. I'm good. And hour later, I realized I had a lot to say. And so after that, of keeping it all inside of me, thinking I was good, if I didn't live it, didn't speak it, you know, everything Mm -hmm. was good. With the colon cancer, I was a lot more open with people. I discussed it. Um, I didn't talk about a lot of feelings, but I discussed what was going on in my life. Um, The initial diagnosis, I don't know that it affected me as much. Um, the long hospital stays, the, um, so many hospital stays, that's when it started to take it. I felt guilty because I was always the first patient there, the last patient there because of my long days. Um, and just going, I just felt like all I did was spend time at the hospital at the cancer treatment center. Um, once I started having the, um, reoccurrences, it just, it destroyed me. I just felt like it was a roller coaster. I was never going to get off of, um, I was very honest with it. I handled it a little different, not as quickly as I probably should have, because I still thought I was okay. I finally agreed to go on an antidepressant, which Hmm. was extremely helpful to me. I talked to the counselor. I used the resources at Brown and then I thought, okay, I'm good again. All's good. And I even said, well, I don't even need my antidepressant anymore because I'm good. And that wasn't the answer. And that wasn't true. It was the medicine was helping me deal with everything. As life went on and my, and I just started this not, I was existing. I, I realized my husband was going to, you know, he was carrying on life without me, him, him and my stepdaughter, they were, they were just carrying on and, you know, we'd start to have the conversations. Well, you need to get remarried. Um, we were only married a year when I was diagnosed Uh, with cancer. Um, And, you know, of course he didn't want to talk about the remarried. He didn't want to talk about any of this. And, but then at the same time, I was so mad that he was going to get remarried. He was continuing his life. I was just, I was just emotions all over the place, anger, depression. It's just like, and I couldn't control it and I didn't understand it. And um, the anger took over. I wasn't angry that I got cancer. I was angry that it was going to take me and I wasn't going to get to have my life. And I wasn't going to get to have the life I was supposed to have now that I was remarried and I was so happy and everything was good. Yeah. Um, so it it's, it was an emotional roller coaster. I actually say to people, it's not even the treatment that gets you. It's the mm-hmm. after cancer. It's the after of the side effects. And, you know, then it was, why did this all have to happen? And I hate my life. I hate my body. It's just, it's not fair. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been, it's emotionally, it's been very draining on me. It's, it's caused a lot of issues in my life and with my husband and my family. Um, but I'm trying, I continue to take the medicine, you know, five mm-hmm. years later, I'm still after completing the trial, I'm still on my medicine because I need to be, because mm-hmm. I realize I haven't unpacked everything still. And there's still yeah. things that I do suppress that it's just easier to suppress. Oh, for sure. So with your husband and your other relationships, have you been able to bring those to a better place now, now that you're kind of on the other side? Is it still a work in progress? Have you found tools Um, that help with that? I I have found tools that helped. I, you know, I went to counseling during treatment. I went to counseling after treatment. Um, 
I, I found a support group that mm. has been so extremely beneficial to me. Um, I resisted a support group for a long time because I said, I don't want to sit in a room and talk about my emotions. I don't want to live this day in and day yeah. out. It's not that I wanted to forget I had cancer, but I just, you know, it's just, this is going to sound bad, but I looked at it as like an AA meeting. I didn't know, like, hi, my name is Lana. I'm right. a cancer survivor. <laughs> and I just didn't want to do that. And you know, in chemo, you hear all everyone talking about their horror stories and their worst things. And I yeah. just did not want that. So I wouldn't do it. And I just kept having the conversation. And then finally, um, thanks to, um, some friends, I found the right group and mm. I'm just forever thankful. And now I think, gosh, I wish I would have gone sooner. I really did need it. I didn't know how much I needed it until there were people that, understood what I was going through and the things that I could not say to my husband or I could not say to my friends, I could say in my group and there's mm -hmm. no topics that are off limits. And yeah. that's what's so amazing about it is because I realized I am not abnormal when no. I'm going through normal and what I'm dealing with after the fact that they don't tell you about is all normal, but it doesn't have to be on my own and it doesn't have to be hidden. It's okay to express all the things I'm going through. Exactly. That is one of the prime reasons we do this podcast is that mm -hmm. right there is we don't yeah. want anyone to think they're the only one who's experiencing X fill in the blank related right. to cancer, because it's not true. Everything you just, I was a stuffer. I was the one who didn't do support groups either. And I know I'm not the only one. This is a common thing. Um, and it's a matter of finally taking a chance, right? Mm -hmm. Getting yep. out there and finding out you're not the only one. So kudos to you for doing that. That's awesome. Thank so you. how, how did you discover Epic along this journey? So I was always a person that I don't, I didn't research on the computer because I was told not to, mm -hmm. and I just didn't research anything. And I, so I, I really didn't know there were camps, there were different organizations to help people. I had no idea. Um, one of the ladies in my support group, though, is pretty actively involved in Epic from starting at a camp to starting to volunteer. And so she was very big on, have you registered for Epic yet? And, you know, has we've had conversations about Epic in our group to understand what Epic was. And so um, she just, you know, she was very encouraging on it's it's it. it it's a very great organization, you know, from going to camp, I just wanted to be so much more involved. So her strong encouragement, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> did you register is, is registering for it. Um, I still didn't know a lot about Epic except for what she said. Um, but I did register, um, for it, um, with her encouragement, um, pre COVID, you know, when everything, okay. life was, when life was good and right. <laughs> was going on. Yes. <laughs> So what expectations did you have? So once you heard, okay, you know, you have a spot, you're coming to camp, which I think you just did uh, this summer, right? You went to camp. I did. Mm -hmm. So what expectations did you have before you went to camp? I, I think that I didn't think too much into it because I'm such an overthinker. And if I spend too much time thinking about it, I'm going to freak myself out. So I think my main expectation was uh, meeting people um, like me um, that were kind of in the same boat. And I, I didn't even really know the things that Epic did. Um, so, you know, with like the activities or the discussions. And I think my whole thought was that 
you know, just talking about it, meeting people with similar things, helping each other. I, I just felt like it was going to be more like a advancement of my survivors group, I guess you say. Right. Um, I don't think thinking as much as I probably should have thought of it, which is okay too, because I didn't go in with, you know, two, you know, real high expectations. All I knew was um, I know four people that have gone and they said, you, it will change your life. Yeah. It, it, I can't say any good, more good things about it. It will change your life. And so I went in there going, it's going to help me and maybe unpack a little more. So now on the other side, only a few weeks later, can you say that it's changed your life? It, it's made me think about things differently. Um, I think I was still a little naive in where my mm. thoughts were until Mama Lou and I had a very frank conversation of um, reality of some things of maybe, you know, giving myself a little more grace, giving myself a little more, I, I, get, I can give it to everybody else and I can help everybody else, but it's helping me that was the hardest part of um, understanding that I've got to take care of myself too. But also the fears of, I'm not a very spontaneous kind of person, except for travel. I'm good with, you know, if I got to go travel somewhere, I can go at any time, but as it relates to activities. So, um, I had such fear of failing, I think you'd say, or letting somebody down or thinking I couldn't do it. And, um, you know, I always had my husband there to make sure that I was taken care of and to keep me safe. And so to have to rely on myself in some aspects, you know, the team, of course, but to rely on myself, it made me realize I could do so much more than I ever thought I could. Awesome. And trust me, each day I was just like, oh my gosh, no, I cannot do this. <laughs> and yet you did it, right? I, and yet I did it. And um, I just, I was so proud of myself. And then I felt so dumb. Like, why am I proud of myself for accomplishing this? I'm a grown woman. But then I also had to say to my husband, okay, I appreciate you more than I realized I appreciated you. And now I finally get what you say about life's so easy for you. Things just happen because someone else is taking care of things. And so I, I had to rely on myself in some ways to make sure that I was safe and I was taken care of. Not that I was ever not safe, but I was make my own. And that was, that was a learning lesson for me that I could do it. That's so awesome. I walked, I walked away thinking, gosh, I can, I can actually do adventurous things. Um, Cause you know, with having colon cancer, I only have 25% of my digestive system. So I have a lot of worries as it relates to side mm. effects. Oh, and yeah. so um, I was so scared about it, but then I realized from camp that I can still do things just with a little more preparation to anticipate problems. That is amazing. Yeah. I love it. Um. And again, your experience is not alone. I've volunteered at several camps and people come every time with some of the same concerns and fears and find the same thing. Oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. I, I'm so happy to hear that you've taken that home. Is there any specific way you've seen it at home? I think you've been home for what, a few weeks now, three, four. Mm -hmm. Is there any situation that you've been in since you've been home where you thought, okay, I can do this where before maybe you would have doubted it or anything like that? I haven't done anything daring yet. I'll say <laughs> that, I have thought of that, you know, as we travel, I can be a little more adventurous. I can, I can be okay with doing it. 
and not planning and overanalyzing of all the different things. So uh, I'm actually in Montana right now and I was looking at the activities. Well, what can I do in Montana? And I'm like, how daring can I be? Not very daring with where I am, but um, I just, I realized that I'm not going to say no next time when someone says, Hey, do you want to do this or this? I'm going to believe that I can do it until I'm shown that I can't. I love it. So is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you would want to share with someone listening, whether it's someone who is a survivor like yourself or a caregiver? So I think on the survivor side is realizing that it's okay to voice your concerns. It's okay to show your emotion and not be afraid. Um, and, you know, to get the help you need, you know, there's such a stigma around like the depression and mm-hmm. medicine, but if it helps you, it, that's what, that's what matters. Yeah. You know, I was so against medicine. I was so against pain meds. I was so against everything. I said, I don't need to do it. And, you know, when I'd be in the hospital and they'd say, what's your pain level? And I'd <laughs> say three and my husband would go plus five you know, because I didn't want to take the pain meds. And right. um, I realized though, along the way, you got to take care of yourself first. And if yeah. that means you got to take medicine, if you need something to help you get through through the day with, to fight the depression, to fight the anxiety, it's really okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and keeping things inside doesn't help anybody. It's really hurting you because mm-hmm. it's going to come out and not in a good way. And unfortunately, mm-hmm out multiple times. It didn't come out in a good way when you have an outburst. Um, and then I think for the caregiver side is I never really understood as the caregiver side. And, um, I did an Epic regional day mm-hmm. where they had the caregivers and the survivors all in the same, um, experience. And it was the best thing ever. My husband didn't say a lot because he's still the strong man, head of the house. He has to be strong and can't share his emotions, but listening to the caregivers and listening to him a little bit made me understand a little bit more because when I was sick, I thought he didn't care. I said, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't cry. You don't tell me how you feel. You don't care about nothing. Are you waiting for me to die? Do you just, you're so sick of dealing with a sick wife that you just, you're just over it because that's, you know, when you're so depressed and you're so dealing with everything, you, your, your, what's your thoughts are so skewed. It's, it's yeah. so not reality of the situation. And my husband never made me fail, treated me like that, but it's what my mind thought because right. of the, and I just wish that he would have shared with me a little more. He would have maybe talked to me. I completely understand why he didn't. I know mm-hmm. he didn't want to add that to me, but then I think I wish he would have found someone else to talk to instead of mm-hmm. keeping it inside. So I, I know that caregivers have a whole different responsibility or what they're dealing with watching a loved one so sick and ultimately being faced with or mortality, but keeping everything inside doesn't help anything and mm-hmm. they need to. And I, and I, I do think that's important. So, you know, I, I loved the aspect of the caregivers hearing from each other and talking to each other because it's something that was needed because again, there's, they're, probably dealing with the same things that each other are dealing with that they don't know how to say. And especially the men, the men mm-hmm. absolutely cannot share with their wives that they're so scared. Exactly. And it it's, it's, I get not sharing at all, but I think maybe sharing a little yeah. bit more would help. Yeah. And, and the final thing is advocating for yourself and listening mm-hmm. to your body. 
you know, so many times you hear, I don't, I can't get an appointment. I can't get this or no, or whatever. And the doctors, they, they, they think you're a hypochondriac or whatever, but you know, your body and Mm -hmm. you, you have to advocate for that. When I was in the hospital one time, I went in through the ER and the ER doctor did not want to hear that I understood what was going on. And he wanted to send me home. And we kept saying, you can't send me home. My cancer's back. We know my cancer's back. I can feel it. And he was talking about discharging me and my surgeon happened to walk in and listened. And he said, nope, here's what we're going to do. We're moving her to the cancer or we're doing this. Two days later, I was in surgery and my tumor was a millimeter from breaking my wall. Oh, gosh. And had he sent me home, I don't even want to think about what would have happened. So that's what I mean by advocating for yourself. When something's not right, it's not right. Mm -hmm. And I knew something was really, really wrong. And I normally, I would just say, okay, but you, you, you have to fight for yourself because no one else is going to fight for you, but yourself. Yeah. Good for you. Wow. Yeah. That, like you said, I don't want to think about what could have happened, but good for you for for doing that. Well, our last question is always this really serious one. Uh, (laughs) Marshmallows over a campfire, slow and steady or flame and crispy? I think flame and crispy. I'm with you. Melty and just smash it and all the ooey goodness. (laughs) I am a hundred percent with you. Yep. Well, Lana, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Um, I appreciate your honesty about your depression, about taking medication because you got your life back. And I did. you did what was necessary to do that. So thank you for sharing because I know there are others who can relate. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So until next time we gather around the campfire, keep living beyond cancer. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs, or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode. Valentine's